If you have a Bible, if you could take it and turn with me to the book of Acts, it's the fifth book in the New Testament, right after the four Gospels, and we're at the end of the book, so Acts chapter 28, we finally reached uh, the end of our study through Acts. If you're visiting with us, we have been in the book of Acts since the summer, and so um, for those who have been here uh, for the entire series, uh, I applaud you. (laughs) Thank you for hanging in there uh, as we've worked our way through this book. Uh, and as we prepare to look at Acts 28, you know, one of the things, it's easy for me, maybe it's not for you, but you can often read through books of the Bible and lose a sense of time and the passage of time. You know what I mean? Like, how many years is this covering? Well, I probably should have brought this up earlier in our study of the book of Acts, but the book of Acts takes place over the course of 35 years. And I hope you hear that and think, whoa, that's not very long at all. And it's not very long, especially when you think what happened in those 25 years or 35 years. In 35 years, Christianity goes from being this small little Jewish thing with a ragtag bunch of a few disciples to going global. To literally going all over the known world. We reach the end of our study in Acts 28, and Paul has found his way to Rome. And let's look and see how the book of Acts ends. Acts 28, 17 through 31. Starting in verse 17, this is God's word. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore... I have asked to see you and to speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing these chains. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you. And none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God 
has been sent to the Gentiles, they will listen. He lived with, there for two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is God's word. Let me pray, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and help us this morning with this passage. Let's pray together. Father, um, we do need your help. We can't understand this word without you taking, uh, that, without your spirit taking it and applying it to our hearts. And so would you do that? Would you revive our souls through this passage? Would you encourage us and challenge us, point us to Jesus? We would uh, be thankful you would do those things this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. September 11th, 2001, some of you are too young to remember that, which means I'm getting older, but if you were around when that happened, uh, you know exactly where you were when those planes flew into the Twin Towers in New York City, and uh, watching those events, you will, you remember that Hundreds of thousands of people were fleeing south on foot trying to escape and get out of the city. And we quickly discovered something that we often forget when we think about Manhattan. Manhattan is an island. And you see the city officials closed all the bridges. And they closed the tunnels and... Uh, the commuter lines that linked Manhattan to the rest of the world. In other words, people were trapped with no way to get out. And this was at the point where we didn't know exactly what was happening. What happened next in the story is the focus of a documentary. It's narrated by Tom Hanks, perhaps you've seen it, called Boat Lift. It's the story of the largest water evacuation in history. On that day, September 11th, 500,000 people, half a million people were rescued from Manhattan in nine hours. Put that in perspective, Dunkirk, 350,000 in nine days. How did that happen? What makes something like that possible? Well, the answer relies in the resilience and the courage of everyday people, not superheroes, Everyday people who were at the scene who overtook the waters of New York's harbor. People who grabbed tugboats and ferries and fishing boats and anything that would float in order at great personal risk in order to rescue other people. Stephen Flynn, the Center of National Policy, writes, First responders will always do their best to assist us. But in reality, in real life, success or failure in moments of great need is usually determined by the action of regular people. Why do I begin with that story this morning? Because that is the book of Acts in summary. Regular people, like the apostles in the early church, not superheroes, 
regular people with unmatched power inside of them through the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel that they are carrying with them, using their boats, as it were, to be God's vessels to bring people and to rescue people and to bring them to safety and salvation through Jesus Christ. That's the book of Acts. And we've seen all the way through, beginning in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which is the thesis of the entire book. And it says, you are, Jesus says to the disciples, you are my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts follows that pattern, if you remember. It follows the pattern of the gospel going global in the known world. And we get to the end of the book. And Paul finds himself in Rome. And listen to what F.F. Bruce, who is a commentator on the book of Acts, says, The program mapped out by Jesus in Acts 1.8 has been carried out with Paul's residence in Rome where he bears witness unhindered. He goes on and says, Luke's final word is a legal expression that closes the book, here it is, with an undisputed proclamation of gospel triumph. The mission that began in Acts 1-8 finds its near-term fulfillment in Acts chapter 28. Let me say it another way. The gospel has won. And then the question is, how was the early church able to do something like that to the known world and make that kind of progress in 35 years. Well, you know what we see throughout the entire book of Acts and what we see up until the very last page? The early church was clear on two things. Their mission and their message. And if we're going to take the gospel to this world in 2020, we must also, as people and as a church, be clear on those two things. Mission and message. So those are outlined this morning. The mission of the church and the message of the church. So let's look at those two things. The mission of the church, number one. Many people have complained over the years, uh, and maybe you felt this. I certainly did uh, as I studied this this week. uh, That the end of Acts is anticlimactic. It seems very incomplete. For example, we've been talking for chapters. Luke has been talking about Paul appealing to Caesar. Well, what happened? Why not tell us something about that event, Luke? Or Paul's a pretty significant figure in the Bible. Why not talk to us about the circumstances around his death? We get none of that. But it's very intentional It's not random. There's no random things in the Bible. It's very intentional what Luke is doing. Look at verse 31. Look at the last two words. One word in the Greek, in the original of of the New Testament, the original language. Two words in English. In English, without hindrance, it reads literally unhindered. In other words, Luke's saying here, I finished my story, but the story, the story of Jesus Christ and Him crucified is not finished. There is more work to be done. Luke very intentionally does not focus on the death of Paul. Why? Because Acts is not a biography. 
on the Apostle Paul. Acts is about the gospel and about the mission of the church. And Luke is telling us here at the end, the mission of the church is unfinished. You see, Paul, he might be hindered. Paul might be in chains. But Luke is making it very clear that the gospel is not in chains. That the gospel is actually unhindered. And we see Acts, remember, Jesus ascends in the first chapter into heaven. And then chapter 2, he pours out the Holy Spirit on his people. And what are his people supposed to do? Go in the power of the Holy Spirit on a rescue mission. Gathering our boats, if you will. Seeking to bring other people to safety in Jesus Christ. That is the mission that we are on until Jesus returns. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. We are therefore Christ ambassadors. I love the way he puts that. Think of what's an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who represents the king. And the ambassador goes with not their own message. They go with the message of the king. What's the message? Paul says it again in 2 Corinthians 5. We implore, implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled with God. And then he says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's our mission. And we must always, as the church of Jesus in this world, be clear on that mission. Lots of things I could talk about at this point. Let me, I want to talk briefly about what we can expect on the mission. That's the direction I want to go. In order to accomplish the mission, we've got to be clear on the expectations in the mission. And the first one is this, we need to expect hardship and suffering. I know this is obvious probably from this passage, but I do think it's easy to miss, uh, particularly in where we are in our culture. It's easy to miss this. But think about the Apostle Paul here. Where is he? He's in prison. He's in chains. And what I want you to see is that when Paul gave his life, when Jesus entered his life and invaded his life in Acts chapter 9, Paul's life did not get better. Following Jesus made his life a whole lot worse. And at the end of Acts... The gospel has won. It has spread throughout the known world, but the victory has not brought more prosperity and more comfort to the church. I just want to point that out. I don't want to spend a lot of time there, but it pushes back on our idol of comfort. And it pushes back on the prosperity gospel that is so prevalent in our culture. And as we move throughout the world on mission, we must always remember and have clear expectations. We should not expect Christianity to alleviate our sufferings. In fact, it will probably do the complete opposite. And we just need to always be aware of that. Secondly, we need to expect to be misunderstood on the mission. And this really stuck out to me this week. Never... This jumped off the page, verse 22. But we want to hear what your views are. And then here it is. For we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. 
Here's the point. You're at the end of the book of Acts. The gospel has won. Christianity has spread all over the known world, and yet it's still seen as a heresy that was condemned by the culture. The Jews and the Romans didn't agree on a whole lot, but they agreed that they didn't like Christianity. And so what does that mean for us in 2020 in the midst of our culture? Well, when we move out into the world on mission, don't expect that this culture will understand you. Or that they will understand Christianity. And don't expect, that the, cult, and don't expect the culture to reflect its values. The values of Christianity. Don't be surprised when people don't get you. It's nothing new. It's always been true. It was true for the early church. And here, here's what I want you to see and know. is that the early church didn't blink. They didn't blink. You know, we blink. They didn't blink. You know why they didn't blink? It's because their hope was in the one true king, Jesus Christ. Their hope was not in how Rome chose to run its empire. Their hope was not in getting institutions to try to abide by their values. In the book of Acts, they give deference and respect for governing authorities, but there's never any sense in these early Christians that those in authority were necessary for the gospel to win and for the gospel to go forth in the world. Our hope as we move forward in our mission It's not in the Oval Office. It's not in the elections. It's not in politics. It's not in institutions. Nor is it in trying to get non-Christian culture to hold our values. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, who is the king and the head of the church. Now let me be clear. Does that mean that we should withdraw from culture? Of course that doesn't mean that. We need to be involved as Christians in every aspect of culture. And we need to bring justice and love and mercy into every arena of the culture. So much so that if we were to withdraw and if you were to withdraw from your little area that God's placed you, whether it's schools, whether it's finance, whether it's real estate, whatever it might be, if you were to not work there anymore, there would be a noticeable difference. And it would be far less worse because of your absence, or far worse because of your absence. Third, we need to expect mixed results. Verse 24, some believed, others didn't. What did Paul do when people didn't believe? He was obviously grieved because they were, these were his people, but he moved on. He shook the dust off his feet, so to speak, And moved on to those who would listen. Our job and our mission is not to change people. Our job is to point people to Jesus and get them in front of the freight train of the word of God where Jesus is preached. John chapter 12 verse 32, Jesus says, When I, I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. The point is that Jesus does the drawing. And we want to point people to him. This is the way effective missions and evangelism has always been. Lastly, obviously more to say, but let's move on to the message of the church. So not only did the early church, not only were they clear on their mission, they were also very clear on the message. 
We see it, again, every page, it seems like, in this book we see this. But we see it lastly in verse 17. Paul calls the Jewish leaders together. And if you've been here throughout our study, you know that Paul's strategy when he goes into a city to preach the gospel, it's not to stand on a street corner with a sign yelling at people, telling them to turn or burn. That's not what he does. He goes to the synagogue, to his people, to religious people who know the Bible and who know the law and the prophets. And now we see because he's under house arrest and he's in chains, he says, I need you guys to come to me. And so it says greater numbers came to him. So all sorts of people were coming to Paul. And when he gathered them in this um, house in in which he was under house arrest, what did he talk to them about? Verse 23. I love this. Verse 23, look at it. From morning until evening, he expounded the word of God to them, trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. All day long, he was talking to them about Jesus and how Jesus was the center of the Bible, which for them was the Old Testament, and how Jesus fulfilled the Bible and fulfilled the Old Testament in which they had. To say this another way, the message of the Bible is Jesus. Everything is about him. He's the center of the Bible. And so then the question is, what does that mean for us? So let's apply this. And I'm going to make two applications, one personal and one more corporate for our church. Let's think about the personal application first. And the reason why I wanted to go here um, is because I know many of you are trying to read through the Bible possibly this year or you're into your Bible reading at the beginning uh, of the year uh, and are thinking about those type of things. And so I wanted to talk about this under personal application. But there is a right way to read the Bible, and there's a wrong way to read the Bible. How do you read the Bible wrongly? You read the Bible wrongly when you read it as being primarily about you. If you read it primarily of being about you, the Bible will crush you. But if you read it as being primarily about Jesus, then the Bible will actually revive your soul and bring life to you. Let me give you an example. Take David and Goliath for for an example. The story of David and Goliath. If you read that story as if it's all about you, then the application of that story might go something like this. There are all kinds of giants in your life. And God will help you slay those giants if you're obedient and pray. That's moralism. That's not gospel. Instead, what if we were to read it this way? Is David being a picture of the greater David, Jesus Christ himself, who came into the world to destroy and to to defeat the only real giants in the world, which is sin and death and evil. And he rose again, and he invites people to be united to him by faith. What if that's the story? So that you don't slay the giants in your life, He does, and he did, and if you are in him, his life is now yours. See the difference? One's really good news, the other one is bad news and will crush you. One will free you, one will lead you to despair because it's all up to you. You see, the reason why some of you are bored with the Bible, 
The reason why some of you are confused by the Bible is because you read the story of the Bible and you don't know who the hero is. The hero is Jesus. The Bible's not a collection of, primarily a collection of virtues and rules and a philosophy of life. The Bible is about a story about rescue. It's gospel. It's God coming down through His Son and rescuing sinful and broken people like us. The Bible centers on Jesus. A great way to learn how to read and study your Bible in this kind of way from a Christ-centered perspective, and this goes for adults too, is to grab a copy, perhaps you've got one, of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Adults, you too. And just start reading through it. And it will teach you how to read the Bible from a Christ-centered Jesus perspective. Because as the Bible, the title of the Bible says, every story whispers his name. Another great resource for you is the Bible Project. They have an app called Read Scripture that you can read through the Bible in a year or two, whatever, you can pick your program, and it has these videos that it drops in along the way. And the videos show you how this points to Jesus and keeps you on track to, to say, ah, this is not about me. This is about how good Jesus is and what he's done for us. Secondly, though, what is this application for our church? Well, as we continue to do ministry on this little corner of the world, on Valleydale Road in Birmingham, Alabama, where God has placed us, Jesus must always be the main message at this church. Think about the book of Acts. I said this with the communicants. Think about how many sermons and speeches are in the book of Acts. Lots of them. What is every sermon and speech in the book of Acts? of Acts about one thing it's about Jesus and so it's only fitting that Luke would end with Paul day and night talking about who (laughs) talking about Jesus and who Jesus is and what he's done and at faith church we must seek as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 2 to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified when we when people walk through the doors of our church we want, them, we want them to see loud and clearly one flag that is flying here at this church, and it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what we want. And that's what we want every sermon to be about. Perhaps you could, um, Lord willing, we want that to be what every sermon is about. And perhaps you've been visiting here or been around for a couple of weeks, and maybe internally you have found yourself saying, they talk about Jesus a lot. Or maybe you found yourself saying, some way in this sermon, it always seems to get back to Jesus. If you have found yourself saying that, you know what we say? Yes. That's exactly what we want. Why? Is it because we're trying to be trendy and cool and create some brand that's different than everybody else? No. Because we're taking our cues from Jesus and from Paul. Jesus says in multiple places, the Bible is about me. And so we want, when we open the Bible, it to be about Jesus Christ and him only. We want it to be about the one who 
took on flesh and who knew no sin but became sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. And whoever believes in him will be saved. That was Paul's message. That was the early church's message. And by the grace of God, it will be our message in this world. Let me close with this. Do yourself a favor, and you can search this on Google, but the Bible Society has a video. It's a 10-minute video. It came out in 2010. Perhaps you've seen this already, but it will humble you, and it will bless you and grab your Kleenex because you might get emotional. But the video is about the Kimul tribe in Indonesia. And in 2010... 2010, they received the Bible in their own language for the very first time, in their own native heart language. And when you click on this video, you see this crop duster plane is exactly what you think of when you think about missions. And it's coming into this tribe in Indonesia, and this thing is, I mean, it, is, it looks like it's in trouble. And, and it's landing in this strip in the middle of a field that they've made. But before the, as they see the plane coming in, the Kimul tribe, all of them are gathered. And they're dancing, and they've got their tribal headdress, their gear on, and they're dancing and singing. And you know what they're singing? And you see this in the subtitles. I won't sing it for you. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And the plane lands and they swarm this plane. And they made this ark type thing that has these long poles and has this platform in the middle. And they get the Bibles and a lot of people are weeping because they've got the Bible. For the very first time, 2010, they set these Bibles and the whole tribe takes this all these Bibles right into the heart of the village and they're singing and celebrating and dancing along the way. And they start to interview these tribal, these local tribal people. And guess what? They're not Roman. And they're not Jewish. And you see these subtitles. And these subtitles say things like, we love teaching our children the Scriptures. We love helping them. Now that we've got our Bible, we can help them more clearly understand the love of God. For them in Jesus Christ. And as they open up their New Testaments. It's the New Testament is all they have at this point. What's in that New Testament? Books like Ephesians. Philippians. Philemon. Colossians. Where did Paul write those books? In prison, while he was enchained. My point is that 2,000 years later, the message of Jesus is going out into the world and it will not be stopped. And it cannot be stopped. You look around at the culture, perhaps you're discouraged this morning. The book of Acts, if you've been here, things have been way worse. Way worse than what we're seeing right now. And the gospel still slowly but surely marches forth unhindered. The message of Acts is this. Church, don't give up.
Church, there is hope. Church, stay on mission and stay on message because the church cannot and will not be stopped. That's the message of Acts. And Acts chapter 28 is an invitation for us personally, but also as a church, to continue in on that mission. That is the book of Acts. Thanks and praise be to God for this amazing and encouraging book called Acts. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your commitment to us that even though it seems hopeless at times as we look around at our world, I'm sure the early church felt that way. And we know that you are watching over and taking care of your church and you will never let us go and that we will win. Remind us of that, Holy Spirit. Drive that into our hearts. Make us a church and a people on mission and make us a people on message that boldly proclaim the good news about Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.